Good job. Um, now you see down, see you. You can see the screen now where it says Sunday Night Clinic with Billy Gasparino up on top. Yeah, it's it's got me next to you, and then down there is the mic is on. Okay, and that just uh, when you when you're talking, you'll have it on. When you're talking, I'll have it on. I'll it'll look like this because I'll stop talking. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yep. Got it. Okay, welcome in. We'll get going here in about seven minutes. So uh, anxious to have you on here and anxious for the people to get a chance to listen to you. Awesome. Thanks, Butch. Looking forward to it. Okay, babe. I'll see you in about seven minutes. All right. Hey guys, we're about five minutes out. We'll get started here in about five minutes with Billy Gasparino, the LA Dodgers director of scouting. Six o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Glad to have you in the space. Hey, good evening, everybody. Sunday night clinic, first pitch for the weekend uh, for Monday and Tuesday night with Walter and his guests, uh, Jason King, Dayton University. And then on uh, Tuesday night, Jamie Penzino, the pitching coach at ETSU. I'm going to go over some ground rules here before we get started. As you guys, we always talk about it. Now, down at the bottom of your screen, as you guys can see that there is the heart. If you like something that's being said, you know, you can put the heart sign 
you can you can if something said that you that it makes you laugh you can go the laugh emoji you can go the clap emoji you can go the peace emoji but anyone you feel like doing uh if you hear something that you like uh it's a way of uh showing you know billy that hey that's that's good stuff and it's always nice to to see somebody say something nice but uh, we're at 5.58. In two minutes, we will get started. Look forward to it, guys. I'm going to let some more people get into the space, and then we'll get going. All right, guys, it's 6 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, 9 o'clock in the East, and we're going to get rolling here. I want to welcome everyone to Sunday Night Clinics. As you know, we are a forum of positive, honest exchanges for the betterment of athlete 911 players and families, and in cooperation with Masters of Baseball, our agenda is to help players all over the country in today's youth baseball environment. The conversation is positive information to help you. Our agenda is to talk to help players and families grow in our great game. This forum of baseball talk and sharing philosophies and beliefs is for the player, the family member, youth and high school, college coaches. It's a forum for all of us to grow as people and as coaches and as mentors. Tonight, we're lucky enough to have the LA Dodgers Director of Scouting, Billy Gasparino. Let me tell you a little bit about Billy before we bring Billy on and, and uh, get his knowledge of the scouting world. Uh, Billy attended Oklahoma State University where he played college baseball for the Cowboys as an infielder. He was drafted out of uh, Oklahoma State by the Colorado Rockies in the 17th round of the 1999 Major League Draft. That makes him a very young man. He hit 260, 373, 388 in his lone minor league uh, playing career. In the fall of 2010, Gasparino was hired by the San Diego Padres from the Toronto Blue Jays to serve the position as national cross-checker. Afterwards, in 2012, Billy was promoted out of his cross-checker position to become the, their director of scouting. On November 7th of 2014, Billy was hired by the Los Angeles Dodgers director of scouting. And the players that he that are the current players that he has drafted for the Dodgers, these these big names, Walker Bueller, Dustin May, Will Smith, Tony Gonsolin, Edwin Rios, Gavin Lux, Matt Beatty, and Mitchell White. Other draftees under Gasparino include Devin Smelter, Luke Rayleigh, Andre Scrub, AJ Alexi. Dean Kramer, Wong, Zach Pop, and Ryland Bannon, all of whom were used in trades to acquire key veterans. Guys, please welcome to Sunday Night Clinic, Billy Gasparino. Hey, thanks, Butch. Thanks for the great introduction. 
Uh, hope everyone's well out there and, and can hear me. Um, excited to be on. Uh, love the love the purpose and, and message from Butch and what you guys are trying to do. Uh, can't uh, emphasize enough like gr- how important growing the game is. And uh, happy to be a part of this and and looking forward to the to the hour here with everyone. Billy, we keep cutting out yes. a little bit. Uh, here's my first. There, there we go. Here's my first question for you, Billy. Can you please uh, talk a little bit about your career and how it has transitioned you into, you know, becoming a scout and eventually sitting on top of the Dodgers evaluators on the free agent side? Yeah, so uh, a little more background. I grew up in uh, Tampa, Florida. Uh, went to uh, Jesuit High School, which was a pretty well-known high school um, with with both, you know, established players and a lot of success and and baseball was my life in Florida growing up uh it was it was probably the typical typical Florida kid who played 100 120 games all summer all spring all fall loved every minute of it um was able to get a a scholarship to University of Georgia and uh played there for a year and and then transferred to Oklahoma State where I spent three years um you know listen I I was probably more instincts work ethic and, and mental ability than I was talent, but, uh, you know, was able to have a really successful college career as a middle infielder. I, I do think those experiences, both from high school, college, and a little bit of minor leagues of not only like playing against good players, playing with good players, um, seeing kind of what worked and what didn't. And, uh, maybe my playing style, you know, helped me kind of like transition to scouting and understand uh, you know, just what it takes and what to look for. And, um, and I, I kind of use those instincts and in, in feel to, you know, have a, have a little career here in, in scouting. Okay. That's, that's awesome. What I want to do with you tonight is, you know, go A to Z in scouting. Uh, and the first thing that I want to talk about is how you set up, you know, we got a lot of kids, a lot of families that see scouts at games. You know, obviously, most of the kids on here have the dreams of playing pro ball. So if you could start off with how you uh, set up a scouting staff, you know, by region, what guys do, what they do for you, so that people kind of understand what what is all scouting is all about. Yeah, no problem. Um so I'll try to cover it from A to Z. Butch, please help. And if I forget something, jump in and, and guide me here. But it's a big country, and, and we scout a lot of players. Um, to give you an example, we, we probably see, you know, roughly three to 5,000 players across the country every year. We, we turn into draft around 800, and those are basically what I mean by turn in is our scouts say, hey, we, we would like to select uh, or want these 800 players to be Los Angeles Dodgers. And then we, we draft, um, you know, or sign anywhere from 20 to 40 kids every year. So it's a big country. Uh, it takes a lot of manpower to cover it well. And, and what, and I definitely didn't invent this. This is, the system was kind of long before I came, but we, we try to split up geographically and we try to make it manageable that way. And so it's called kind of a, uh, you know, a cross checker system. But we ha- to, to start from the very beginning, we have 17 area scouts who are assigned certain areas. They have about 40 to 50 players in each area that they turn in, maybe a little bit more in some areas. We have four to five regional cross-checkers, and the regional cross-checkers have four area scouts underneath them, and they're considered their like, day-to-day managers. And so those regional guys um, will help guide our area guys, will we'll do a lot of the training, will we'll see their players. Um, and, and are kind of like the middleman from both bottom and top of our, our cross-check system on, on, the, on the communication and, and just the spread of information. Um, on top of the regional guys, we have three to four national cross-checkers, uh, myself, who's the scouting director, and a couple special assignment guys. And all those, that group, that top group, will go, go all over the country and see as many players as they can. Um, so... It's a pretty, it's a pretty thorough system. Uh, we rely a lot on our area scouts to know the players, identify the players, um, help us with scheduling, where to go, um, 
and and they're the true experts of, of these guys. They really are. Um, the local guy you see at the park a lot, they spend time with the kids, the coaches, the families. They have a huge network in the area, and they help guide us to, to find the right players. Um, the the cross-checker role, uh, in, in a lot of ways, you know, is, is to help evaluate, of course, but really compare players across the country. And so we spend a lot of time and getting multiple looks and different layers of looks and different diversity of people to see these players to try to get a more accurate opinion. Um, you know, we like to call it like uh, a wisdom of the crowd kind of strategy. And we just feel like the more, the more people we can see these players uh, and the more we can use our staff's wisdom, uh, we usually end up making better decisions. So, so the, the system is really based on um, geographical areas um, and, and, and a multi-layer of looks, um, depending on what your role is. Okay. So then you, okay. So you've, you've, you've structured it out area cross checkers to you, the, the main man. Um, can you tell everybody what the responsibility, uh, is of the area scout? Because I'm, I'm, there's going to be some prospects on this call that are guys that, you know, they're starting to know what the system is. Just tell us exactly what the Dodgers expect of their uh, local scouts, say say in Northern California or in Florida. What what are they laying the ground to for you as the scouting director? Yeah. um, So their their first and and foremost job is to identify the the best players and, and where the the most talented guys. Um, And, Listen, everything we do and say is is to draft and grade and evaluate on a major league scale. And it's a very difficult uh, bar to hit. And our area guys are, are the, the first people who recognize the, the talent. Um, they identify it. They grade it out. They evaluate it. Um, and then they get to know the person, the player, the character, the makeup, the family, the background, um, almost like the and, – and start to really like – develop a, a player resume uh, for us to start to follow. And so they're vital to our system. Um, they work extremely hard. They, they know a lot of information about each player. If, if you are lucky enough to be talented enough to, to get um, pro interest, then you'll see like how much they know you, how hard they work, how many times they get to see you play. Um, our expectation, like I said earlier, is like they're the expert and we rely on them to, really provide an A to Z information or a file on each player um, and, and really recommend who, who would be a good Los Angeles Dodger or who would be a good major leaguer. Okay. When you talk about who would be a good uh, major league player, who would be a good Los Angeles Dodger, when you're looking at the reports uh, from your area scouts, what, what do you want to see? Number wise, I, I would like you to talk about your numbering system. I, I don't, I don't know if the Dodgers are twenty to eighty, but if you could yeah. kind of run down your guys's numbering system, and maybe so people understand, uh, you know, what number does a player have to be in order for, say, a regional cross checker to come out and see them, and then to get you, the scouting director, to come and see them. Yeah, no, good question. So. Like Butch said, um, our scale is, is basically on the 2080. We, we call it a roll system, which is two to eight, which is, is basically mimicking the 20 to 80 grading scale that we, we use on each player's tools. So we have a roll two to eight um, with roll five being major league average. So if you're looking at your typical team and, and you see that like solid everyday second baseman who, who hits, you know, and who would play and hit and, Every day for, for most teams in the major leagues, that's what we call roll five. Um, and and that's, that's kind of our, our average um, major league player kind of benchmark we use. And then it can go up and down from that. So roll six would be an all-star type player, um, a front of the rotation starter, you know, someone who hits in the middle of the lineup, someone who just like performs better than your average major leaguer. Um, and then it can go up to high as roll seven, eight, which is like multi-year all-stars, uh, Hall of Famers, you know, it kind of gets to this ridiculous level of players that that really happens, but we do have those grades. Um, and, and then you go down the other way where roll four is your your common like backup player, fourth outfielder, backup catcher, 
uh, low leverage bullpen guy, um, maybe a fifth starter. These guys are, they are major leaguers. They're probably more at your, your bottom of your 25 man roster, but they are valuable and they do play in the major leagues. And then your role three for us is kind of like your typical, like triple a up down guy or emergency level player who can fill in, in, in different spurts, but probably uh, isn't good enough or skilled or talented enough to, to really be on a roster consistently. So we, we started there with that role system and it's, the, it's the basis of how we look at every player. And, and then we also, in, in our system, the Dodgers, we attach a probability scale, which is poor, fair, good, and excellent. And so what that does is, is a lot of times, um, you know, you have different conviction levels or different uh, probabilities on what you actually think this outcome is. So if you're a roll five good in our system, that is a great player. We are really confident you're going to play every day in the major leagues. We would put you at a high value. Um, if you could also be a roll six poor, and that might identify someone who has a lot of talent, who is maybe is more projection or more outward looking, what we call like future skills or tools. Um, it could be more risk associated. And that kind of tells the story with like a role six poor. Uh, another way to say it would be like a role four excellent. And this is the guy who we think um, is incredibly skilled, probably has a track record of performance and is a really high probability guy to play in the major leagues but probably as a backup level so those are like two or three examples of like how we view the role system some of the verbiage that comes along with it uh and how we view you as a players and so whether you're you're 17 18 20 21 22 whatever we are using this role scale to try to grade you out and predict your future and what role you're going to play um it's extremely difficult uh so and it's not exact but it helps us kind of bucket and sort and start to filter out the talent. So we have a general idea of who we'd want to take and who we need to go see that spring. So really, you know, we have a bigger staff in baseball. We, we don't try to limit uh, our guys on who they want looks at, you know, our, our big saying is like, Hey, we'll come see whoever you like. And that could be a 10th rounder, a fifth rounder, a first rounder. Um, obviously any, any kid or any, anyone who we have a, a high role on high probability or high, what we call value on um, we're going to scout uh, extensively with multiple looks. So for us, if you get a role five in almost any capacity uh, on your report, you're going to get cross-checked from a regional guy, a national guy, a scouting director, maybe more depending on how those looks go, depending on how much value we have on you. Um, my guess you would get, you know, seven to eight people to see you this spring. Um, so it's, it's very extensive. Uh, it's not limited to any certain number, but that definitely will be, uh, a number or a role that we would scout you heavily and get multiple looks from not only, you know, cross checkers, but probably myself. That's awesome. Great rundown of that. Now t tell me this and the, the people here that are on this call, when you talk about probabilities, and you talk about, um, you know, uh, poor or excellent with, a, with the, you know, with either the four or five or six number. Is makeup come into that probability also? Correct. You know, we talk a lot about the physical evaluation, but just we spend just as much time on on the mental skills or the, the makeup character of a person. So. Our area scout will be, again, back to our area scout, who's the key cog in this whole machine. He will have to fill out a, a background report on every player. And it's a series of categories and questions that he's responsible to fill out. Um, and in a lot of ways with multiple sources, that's telling us about, you know, your family, what they do for a living, what schools you've attended, what coaches say about you, their interactions with you how they think you think like what you said to them, what they think you, how you think um, their interpretation of your playing style uh, mentally. Uh, it's a long checklist of trying to figure out how, how your brain works and, and what, what values are important to you and how you treat people and, and what kind of character you are. Um, this is a long, you know, baseball is, is the longest development race almost in any sport. You know, it, it takes a lot of time and effort to get, skilled enough to play at that major league level and it takes good character and makeup to do it from our experience so we put a lot of effort in trying to identify that um 
you know, once in a while, if you're good enough or you're very high level, we also have a, um, a psychologist on staff who will not only test you, but interview you and then fill out a report on what they think of your, of your mental skills. So we have a couple different ways, objective and subjective to do it. Uh, makeup is probably the hardest thing we do to, to grade out, to evaluate. It probably is, is, is right there in importance. Um, and it's something should, you should be definitely aware of. Cause I, I think, I, I, I think, um, I, I think people are a little naive sometimes to how much time major league teams spend in this area. That's awesome. Can let me ask you this, uh, Billy? When you when you guys uh, go out and see players, um, you know everybody's trying to understand how they can get a major league scout to to come see them. What would be some information or some advice that you could give families and players? if they want to be seen by a major league organization, they're not in a big, you know, a big hub or, you know, they might be in a small town and not many people know about them. How do you, how would you tell the kid or family how they could reach out to get a hold of a major league team? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, listen, I, I think, you know, and, and Butch got for a long time and, and it, the, the way this thing's evolved, uh, it's been really cool to see. And I think, you know, again, stuff like this tonight or social media in general has made the spread of information faster and more available to everyone. Um, and so it's a really good thing for, for players because I, I think there's very few stones left unturned, very few players that aren't seen or heard about. And so I would, you know, suggest like, Hey, the main focus is like on the field, like play well, show tools, um, show your athleticism, show your ability to understand the game. And then between coaches, scouts, uh, social media programs, people will find you. Um, the networks that people uh, are involved with um, are, are really extensive. I think people uh, really, really, and especially scouts, that's their job is to talk to people um, from coaches you might play against to you know, services that are out there that go see players and write reports to showcases. There, there's almost unlimited ways to get seen. And so, I, I mean, I would say, hey, focus on the field, play well, and someone will notice you. Um, now, a lot of it is, and, and Butch knows this as well, is like, you know, our 2080 tool scale, like if you have tools, and this is like on a major league scale, um, whether it's run, throw, hit, power, whatever that, that strength is or that elite skill, if you have something elite, it will it will be seen and graded well and get you additional looks and attention. That's for sure. Billy, do you guys, um, you know, talking about scouting and scouting high school players and scouting uh, college players, is there a way you guys lean or do you guys grade everyone the same and your thinking's the same for all players or does it change – when you get to a certain point in the draft and then signability becomes a question. Yeah. I mean, we, on, on the front end, we definitely try to grade everyone the same. Like we, we really work hard to like hold our standards to, to major league uh, standards that are, that are really high and hard to achieve. So we try to grade or scale everyone the same way, whether you're a high school, junior college or college, whatever your age or eligibility year is, it's the same. Now, how the draft plays out can be a wide difference. Um, when, when we kind of value or when we look at a high school player, you know, there's just inherent risk being that young that we want the reward or the ceiling to be there to match. So in a lot of ways, our high school player that we're looking at is usually elite talent um, with probably just normal risk due to age and unknownness of, of competition Um and we think that talent or that ceiling to that player is worth the risk. So we will view and kind of like search for those high school kids that like fit that, that bucket or that skill, that kind of like combination of talent and upside. I think as you get into college, it becomes a little bit more of a hey, performance driven, skill driven with talent. And so now we have some, some real objective measurables um, through performance to kind of help us understand who you are as a player to value you, to evaluate you, and um, it it basically can be it can be more of a, a skilled performance type 
um, want need evaluation um, that's a little different than the high school player. So there's kind of two like kind of two separate ways we look at players, even though we're using the same scale or major league standard. And then as the draft unfolds, it just naturally because the high school player has more leverage and has a college option in most cases, um, you know, they just cost more money where the college player costs less and are just more available. So, you know, we, we prefer just the best players. A lot of times our drafts look really lopsided with college over high school based on just availability, signability, and our bonus pool money that we have to spend. Um, so it, it can be a little misleading sometimes when we're like, well, we took like 90% college players and somehow it's like, wait, you guys don't like high school players. We're like, no, uh, a lot of high school players want a lot of money and we only have a certain amount of bonus pool to spend. And so we have to pick and choose which ones. And sometimes where you pick in the draft really matters. And it can, it can be like this whole, how do you use your dollars best signability issues um, and with the high school kids having leverage, it can just lean college heavy a lot of times. Can you talk about uh, your money pool and how you utilize and, and draft with your money pool? And I, when I worked with Stan Caston, and I know you work with him now, he would come in our draft room and he'd start rubbing his hands and he'd look at the unsignable board and goes, which guy do I get to give a million dollars to? You know, so, you know, I mean, he, great passion, great leader. You, you, you know, him. Uh, is there anything like that in your draft room? Uh, or do you guys, it's all, is there, is this all to a plan for the money you get to spend? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it gets a little complicated in that, in that regard, because listen, we're the Dodgers. We have a lot of money. If, if this was just unlimited you know, bonus pool, we just, we'd go spend $30, $40 million on the draft and acquire the best players. But within the rules of major league baseball, they, they kind of try to make it a more level playing field. And we all get assigned a bonus pool amount based on our picks and slot values. So, you know, if pick one, one is worth 7 million and pick 30 is worth 2.5 million. Um, you just, you, you get that assigned dollars to spend on the, on, on, that pick or player or just overall in the draft. So what happens a lot of times is um, if you have a good year, make the playoffs go far, you pick in the bottom of the draft. And as you, as you add up your picks, you just have less money to spend. So for instance, I think last year we had $3.5 million total to spend on, on our players drafted. And I think uh, the highest team had around $13 million to spend. So that does affect your strategy and what you can do in a lot of different ways. Um, and so what we do is, you know, our job is basically trying to maximize our bonus pool for the most talent. And that can, that can go a lot of different ways. So as we set up our board or as we look to how we spend our money, we come up with several different scenarios because you just don't know who's, what player is going to be there um, and, and which way the direction of the draft is going to go. And so as we value our talent and players a priority and line them up in order, we come up with scenarios of, of trying to figure out like the best way to spend our money. Um, and sometimes that means overpaying for a guy. Sometimes means underpaying for a guy. We feel like there's different tiers and cliffs of talent that we try to access um, where we're willing to overspend. And other times where we're, we're not, we want to underspend to save money for later. And it, it becomes as much of a, a, a financial jigsaw puzzle as it does a, a, a pure talent equation. Um, and that's just the, what the, the bonus pool does. So like, obviously like, you know, if our first pick, um, you know, is $2 million and we had a $3.5 million sign bonus, we have one five to spend on the next 20 picks. All right, go out of boys. Like, how are we going to do it? Do we want to go another big ticket item and spend a million dollars on someone? Do we want to go quality and spend, you know, 10, 10 to $150,000 guys. And so you can see like the extremes of how you can spend your money and what players you can access and, and sign um, how much like signability comes into play and strategy comes into play. Now, how do you, let's talk about evaluation now a little bit, because, you know, there's kids on here that play positions and, you know, a lot of times kids are out of position what are you looking for in the catching position when you're going, when you're sending your guys out to scout the scouting, to scout the catching position, what, 
do a Dodger future uh, catcher have to have? Part of his school skills. Yeah, so every position has kind of a, a priority skill set that we look for, and they're different for every position. Um, so to, to speak to a catcher, which is honestly one that's evolved in a lot of different ways over the years, um, you know, we kind of we prioritize athleticism, um, we prioritize receiving, um, and we, we we prioritize power, and we feel like those three components or kind of a, a good starting block for any catcher that like succeeds in our game today. Um, and, and that might surprise him like throwing. Yes, is important. We always want like a hit tool skill, but we're looking for like athletes that can, can um, really stay at the position body types that can, can stand with the, the grind of that position. We're, and we're looking for people who can like receive at, um, because it becomes so valuable of a skill at the major league, league level of just kind of like stealing strikes and, and helping your pitcher out. And then if you can hit with power, we, we feel like that's an, an added bonus um, to our equation. So those are like the main things. Now within those details of how your hands work, your setup, your flexibility, your mobility, how you think about the game, like how smart you are. Can you, can you think of as a call in a game? Um, you know, all these little, you know, intricacies can kind of like add up to be in your, in your benefit uh, for that position. It's a really hard position. Um, it's one we probably have the hardest time grading and evaluating. Um, we, we also like at times, just to give you an example, we have a, a catching evaluator specialist who'll go out and see our top 10 catchers because we think that piece of it is just so hard to grade and evaluate for the common scout. Um, and that's how important that aspect of the receiving is for us. Now that can change. Like the position has evolved over the last few years, there's talk of an automatic strike ball and strike system coming to play, which might take receiving totally out of the equation. And now it might be, all right, throwing's more important. And now it's all about bat throw because the receiving, you can, you can just sit back there and they just call the strikes based on, based on the zone data. And, th- and that's very well how this could go. But that's why catching is so, you know, it's so complicated the position's always evolving. What plays there has changed a lot in the next ten, in the last 10 years and probably will keep changing in the next 10. That's awesome. Let me ask you this. You know, kids are, they go to these, uh, you know, PBR, PG, Future Stars. They go to all these different uh, events to get their skills evaluated. Um, and you're, you talked just about three tools for the position of catcher that you guys are looking for. So I'm assuming in – Maybe I shouldn't assume, but you're probably looking for the three different tools at every position, and maybe some are the same. But what positions do speed need to be a necessary part of the position? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think, I think center field for sure. Uh, shortstop, it becomes a telling tool to have just an overall like athleticism and ability to move. But I think center field. And, and overall in the outfield, I think as teams have placed more of a premium on outfield defense, the speed component uh, has become more important. Um, it, you know, it's, it's one of those tools that it's hard to find um, with the package of other tools. And, and we always are looking for it as like, hey, if this guy can run, it usually makes him a well-rounded player on both sides. It adds to his offense. And it creates like a, a base running dynamic that is undervalued in our eyes. So um, I would say center field for sure. And then next is all the outfield and then shortstop second base as, as like the next tier of where speed matters. Um, you know, and, and Butch knows this well, he scouted for a long time. Like a, a lot of what I'm talking about is like even catching and, and speed or where it plays. Like, listen, like our first and foremost is, is you know, when we look is like, can you hit? Like hitting is the hardest thing to do in the game. It's been getting harder and harder every year with the amount of velocity and stuff that gets thrown at us. Uh, it might be the hardest thing in sports. So like it all just start with a hit. And so like I kind of avoided that because I'd, I'd just be repeating myself for every position. I'd probably start with hit. Um, but besides the obvious of hit, you know, speed or the, some of the tools I mentioned for a catcher, those other tools start coming into play at these other positions. What are you looking for in a uh, – uh... You know, if you're going to break down at shortstop, do you, obviously you, you just said it hit is the number one tool. 
what would be the second and third tools at uh, at shortstop? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, that's when the, the defensive skill and the arm strength come into play. And when we would talk about defensive skill, it, it's feet, hands, arm, and, and what combination you have of those three things to, to play shortstop. And, and you can do it in different ways. Um, you know, some guys are taller, longer, and, and use their length to cover ground. Um, some guys are quick-footed and, and use their feet and speed to cover ground. Um, all of them have usually good hands. And then there's various ways of throwing arm strength to get this job done there at short. But they all have a, a, a healthy combination of those three things or th- those three skills, um, along with instincts, ability to read hops, and, and really just overall focus. I think, I think one, people, one thing people forget about is it's just how locked in you have to be in as a shortstop to get off the ball in time, to read the bat well, to really position yourself. I, I think people forget sometimes how important that skill is. So a lot of it is just mental focus. And we find guys who can really do it for all nine innings. It really, it really makes them consistent fielders, and it really makes a difference in their overall production. So what would you look for in the second baseman? I remember when I was with the Braves – I remember uh, our guys were like, Mark Lemke doesn't have these tools and these tools. He can't do this. But Bobby Cox said, well, you trade Mark Lemke, then you're going to trade the manager because he's my glue (laughs) and my infield. He turned double play better than anybody. So what are the things, I mean, besides the bat that, you know, and the reason why I'm asking you these questions, Billy, is because we got all these kids that are trying to find, they're trying to understand and figure out their roles. Yeah. You know, what they're going to be down the road. So it's great when they can hear it from a scout who is making million-dollar decisions on players. So when you go to see a second baseman, and obviously you guys have done a good job, uh, what what are you looking for in, in the second baseman package? Well, that's interesting because, like, second base has is, is, is changed a little bit for us. Um, we really consider it like an offensive position now. So you got the obvious hit tool, like you can just plug in for every position – but it's become more of a, all right, power, um, maybe um, maybe lack some arm strength, maybe lack some foot speed to play on the left side of the field. Like second base becomes a real fitting spot for guys who, who are maybe out there who feel like, hey, I can really hit. I'm going to hit with power eventually when I get stronger. But defense just isn't my strongest skill strength. Like what do I do? Second base has become a real home there. Um, and, and with the shifts and positioning – in ways we can kind of like, for lack of a better word, hide guys, um, it, it, can, it can be your home. So if you're out there and, and you can hit and hit with power, second base is an option. Um, we feel like we can train you how to turn the double play. If you can throw just well enough to, to, to make the double play turn um, and your hands are good enough to kind of like make the routine play, we've been putting a lot of guys at second base with like more of like a, a fringe defensive skill set but a, a high-end offensive output. And so that would be like kind of a shift in the way I, you know, I, I've thought about lately what we thought about with the Dodgers. Um, we took Michael Bush a couple years ago who uh, was a left field first baseman at UNC and, and confirmed to second base with success. And we're constantly looking for, for that type of uh, play um, as a position of a home for someone who's maybe just offense over defense. Wow, that's really interesting. I, I've never heard that, and I love that. Uh, that's, that's awesome. So before we go to pitching, let me ask you, how do the Dodgers utilize analytics and measured skills to enhance your player evaluation? Yeah, that's a good one, because I, I think it's a popular topic, um, and, and, and there's a lot of information or, or buzzwords out there uh, of, like, where analytics are in our game, how we use them. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully I can create some clarity for that or, or maybe provide some insight. Um, listen, it's important. Like, I, I think I think what we try to do analytically can be a couple of different ways we, we help find them. Sometimes they help us identify players. There, there's a ton of players out there. And, and sometimes analytics just say, hey, like, this guy must be really skilled. No matter what his tools, athletic talent, physical talent is, he's performing at this level and doing these things uh, statistically, like, hey, like we should go look at this player. So sometimes they help us like identify players. Um, sometimes they just help us bucket players. 
Uh, and, and, and now what I'm saying is like, hey, with a certain performance in a certain position um, and our scouts recognize a physical ability, like these type of players usually go in like these type of rounds. So with all this information out there um, and the volume of information coming in in the scouting department is, is really high. Um, analytics can help us sort out and bucket and filter and, and, and give an extra set of eyes um, in a lot of ways for places we can't be. Um, another way it helps is it also helps on historical performance. So it can help us understand like the history of baseball. Um, it may also help us like understand we can't be everywhere. So sometimes like a, a defensive grade, a run tool, maybe a pitch, it might, it might help point us out like, hey, we only saw this guy once. This is some additional information to add to this player. Um, you know, it can also like help us understand like strength of schedule, competition, who they played against, um, their park factors. These are all ways to like understand the performance better. Um, but make no mistake, like it's all about making good decisions. And we're always looking for guys who like, hey, like the players that match up both analytically and what our scouts see with their eyes. As many matches as we can get, um, those are the players we take most of the times because the analytics are a great, like, you know, basically a, a great checks and balance system that we use with the Dodgers just to help help spur on thoughts, ask questions, verify what we're seeing, or, or maybe, you know, try to identify something we're not seeing. So it's a valuable tool. It, it doesn't, you know, control our, our decision-making, but it's a valuable tool in that decision-making process. Billy, how do you, um, you know, obviously when analytics guys came into the game, they were different than scouts had ever seen. And they were making judgments on players through numbers and where scouts use their eyes and their guts. How have you taken both sides of the staff and make them exist with each other. Yeah, it, it's been a challenge, and I, I give our guys credit. I, I think we're blessed with um, a lot of talented scouts who who are smart, experienced, and are always continuing to grow. And so I, I think our scouts have been lucky enough. Um, it's just part of their mindset to be open-minded and growth mindset to learn new things. So from a, from a scouting side – I think our guys, hey, like we want we want more information. We want to like learn how this stuff works. We want to identify players better. If it makes us a good decision, then we're in. So a lot of it is the people you hire and you're around and who work for you um, and their ability to kind of like be open minded to like new information. Um, and then and then also with our analytical guys who usually come back from like highly educated colleges or pass and, and may not have just like pure baseball experience is trying to understand where these stats come from, why they come from, what matters, um, and, and just the overall baseball feel of, of how we look at players. Because for a long time, and listen, like our, our scouts and the longtime philosophies and culture and um, core principles are, are there for a reason. It was years of observations of, of what worked and didn't. And so – we're constantly trying to blend our two groups and to, to see each other's viewpoint. And again, try to match up as, as much as we can. Um, a lot of it always comes down to the people and who they are as people and, and their ability just to like, you know, not have an ego and want to work with others and, and, and continue to be like growth mindset. That's fantastic. Let me ask you a question now about the analytics uh, for position players. Um, you know, they all the kids all want to know their exit velos. You know what, you know, bat speed, contact speed through you know extension. What are, all of them? What is important to the Dodgers when you're looking at analytics of players? Well, this was I, I would hope would help players because like so many times, um, I, I, I'm trying to find the way. I think so many times we get caught up maybe in the, the wrong metrics and and listen like. Exit velocity is great. Like, hey, it, it really just shows like how hard you hit a ball, and you know, hard is hard, and maybe fat. You know, it's 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 kind of a cool thing to see it jump up there, like one hundred five or one ten. But it's not something that we think is pre that predictive. 
Um, we, we want players and, and people who like can manage a batch, makes good decisions, make contact. Um, and, and those are kind of some of the stat rates that we look at in, in terms of just who, who can like really control the zone and make contact and, and against good pitching, knowing that like as you evolve as a player um, and as you grow up and you get stronger, the power, exit velocity, bat speed elements are going to improve. Um, and so really like I think sometimes – you know, kids get thrown off by the guy who hits a far in BP or has some kind of crazy exit velocity. And we're looking more like who, who, who can make contact guys are throwing harder. The the stuff is better than ever. Um, if your contact skill isn't high end um, at high school, college, whatever level you're playing at, like it's just going to get harder to make contact as you get, you know, further up to, to the big leagues and against those pitchers or types of pitches. So that that's for us is a big element is, is, is contact skills. So let me ask you this. Uh, let's go to pitchers now. Yeah. What are, what are the things that when you go into a park and you, you've trained your scouts, what is the important things that you want to see when you guys are scouting pitchers? All right. So that's always a good topic. And, and, and one of the things I know, um, it's always, you know, is like the velocity component is ten, tends to be like the hot ticket item. Uh, and so, and I'm not going to lie. So there, there's a minimum bar of entry into some velocity. Yes. Like um, you have to throw a certain speed to kind of like enter the pool of players we'll look at. There's, I, I'm not denying that. But, you know, in today's world of, of velocity, we just see it everywhere. And, and it, almost to to a fault, we're kind of like numb to it. Like, Oh yeah. Guy throw 95 today. Like, yeah, that, that was four days this week. So when we go in there, yes, velocity is a, is a, you know, a good point of entry and a, a basic level skill that like most major leaguers have. So it's something we look at, but we, we tend to look at what we call fastball quality. And, and that's how, like how it actually plays. And so that can be a combination of movement, command, um, life deception angle extension there's a billion ways to like make your fastball play well and a lot of different combinations with velocity and that's what we look for so that's one of our core components is like fastball quality and and then we start to look at like okay like how good an athlete what's the arm action how's the delivery how is this guy going to go throw a baseball a lot of times in a row and repeat it and stay healthy and go do it at a high level how does he throw a baseball and how's his body work and what kind of athlete he is. So it becomes super detailed and really all the other areas besides velocity, just knowing it seems like how, how easy it is to acquire these days. The Dodgers have had a lot of success with break, you know, curveball and teaching curveball. How important is it for your scouts and you when you go see a pitcher that you might spend a million dollars, $500,000. What, what equipment do you want to see when you go see those type of guys? Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think it starts with, you know, athlete arm action delivery. Uh, and then we get into the pitch pitches and pitch skill and pitch um, repeatability. And I, I think like, listen, yeah, we, we've taught, we think we can improve breaking balls. Um, so if you don't have the perfect slider or the perfect curveball whether that's a grip, a hand position, um, delivery change, we feel like there's some chance we can we can help you. So we we really like we look at those other like underlying components and like what we call just like foundational operational skills um, as a way to like start our evaluation on these high dollar guys and and listen like size, efficiency, athleticism, all that kind of can help, but we we want those foundational elements there in place. And knowing like, hey, is there some natural, you know, strike throwing is important to us. Um, can he can he shape the ball a little bit? What we can prove is the arm action delivery pretty good enough to like we can build off or, or teach. Um, and then we go from there, like having the perfect change up or the now slider. It, you know, it's nice. I mean, I'm not we, we would like it, but it's definitely not like the most important factor when we go scout these high dollar arms. Are you there, yeah. Billy? Okay, sorry. I keep this microphone. Just I must be in a bad area, and I, I'm at home. I'm so. Let me ask you this: When you um, 
let's talk about you a little bit and you setting the tone for your uh, scouting staff. How, how, what would be a great compliment to you if one of your employees said about you, I mean, what are you trying to accomplish with your employees? How are you trying to lead them? And what do you think makes a good leader? Yeah. I, I mean, listen, like I, I'm, I'm blessed. Cause I, I think we have a super talented staff. Um, I, I get the most reward and excited about the quality of people they are though. And, um, when I get the compliment of like, and, and, and luckily enough, we, I get it a lot. Like, Hey, your scout came into our house and was great. He, he explained the game, explained major league baseball. He took our questions. He treated us with respect. He had insightful information. Um, we just loved him. Like he's a good person. Like that's one of the, the highest compliments I can, I can receive about one of our, our people. And so it does. It starts at our very top with like our leadership of you mentioned Stan Kasson. You mentioned, and, you know, Andrew Freeman. They set the tone of just like the quality of human being. Um, and that filters down throughout the whole organization. And so something we take a lot of pride in is it's just being good people. Um, and, and again, like I think probably some of the, the mission or message you're on is like growing the game, helping kids and families, along with hopefully drafting, you know, great Dodgers. Um, and a lot of these people, like, you know, they have a couple core or similar skills is, you know, their, their growth mindset, they're open-minded. Um, they, they love baseball. They're passionate about players. I, I think one of the things we demand is, is liking players. Um, it's important to see the positive in people. Um, I think they usually have, like, really good critical thinking skills. Uh, there's a lot of situations where you have to read the kid, the game, the opponent, the situation and make a judgment on. And so life experience, critical thinking skills, um, being open-minded all kind of lead into like taking an in information and processing it well. And so a lot of our guys, we, you know, work hard on, on kind of those skills, not having any predetermined biasness, just going to the field and, and really trying to take in what you see and, and make good judgments off it. Um, so like those are some of the skills that, like make a good scout. I, I still think the quality of human is extremely important to us. And I, I hope anyone listening or who, who interacts with our scouts kind of get, gets that feel because we care, we care about you and we care about the game. Now let's this, we got about 10, 15 minutes left and there's just a couple more questions I'd like to ask you. Can we talk about a draft room now? I mean, you know, that's the one question that I always get when I'm out there, when people hear that I was a scout. What's your draft room like? And can you talk about what the Dodgers do, how they set up their board? And, you know, what what what's the main concentration in your draft room? Yeah, I mean, that that's a great question. And it probably would take hours to explain, but I'll, I'll give you like the, the quick summary i mean we, we basically because it is a draft and it's almost like picking teams on a playground we we go through and we try to have an order system of of like putting the players in order of how we would take them um and it, it takes a lot of work and it's it's a year-long process to build up to this final 10 days of of putting a draft board together in a room um with probably like 20 to 25 people now um you know for us personally we include a lot of different departments from our strength and conditioning to player development to analytics to our scouting group to try to get as many different lenses on those players and, and kind of be able to like answer any last minute questions. But for us, a, a real basic elementary way we do it is the easiest way to compare players and, and be more correct is just kind of like apples and apples and oranges to oranges. So we set it up in different, the four different demographics and that's college pitching, college hitting, high school pitching and high school position players. So those are our four that we always work off. And because they're similar, they're, they're, they're easier to, to put in order when, when players are similar. And so we start there and uh, using our role and our probability and our value system, we have different tiers and buckets of talent that we just try to put in the orders of those demographics. And then whenever we feel really comfortable about that order, then we blend or combine together to get an overall order. So, We'll do that, and we'll probably put a, a 75 players in exact order, 
and then we'll we'll leave it to um, the next probably like hundred players in their demographics, uh, knowing that the draft is going to take care of so many of these players, and ultimately we're going to have a decision in the fifth or sixth round on a very different looking board between those two different demographics with the, the leaders of each each group. Um, we also have like a, another board that kind of like compares skills or specialty skills or tools or assets that we put in order. For instance, it could be like you mentioned speed. All right. Who are the plus runners out there? All right. What's their order? Who are the best curveball guys? What's their order? So we, we try to like look at it from like a bunch of different angles, group them all together in a bunch of different ways. And then knowing that, Hey, so many of these players, other teams are going to take, if, if we can get our, our roughly our first 75 in the right order, our next hundred in the right demographic order, we're going to probably take care of about our first 10 rounds and feel good about. And, and a lot of it is as much prep as you can do before on the front end, the less like last minute rush decisions you make during the draft, because like anyone, but you've experienced who's, ex- who's been through a draft room, it goes fast. Like, because again, you don't know who's going to get picked in what order you have to make quick decisions on new information. And so as, as much as you can prepare for that, the kind of smoother the decision-making goes. Okay. Let me ask you something outside of the draft room now um, for, you know, kids and families, you know, the biggest thing is, is we're trying to help people, you know, so they spend their money correct, you know, it, right. Not just waste money on going to this and going to that. So if you're a pro player, yeah, or potential pro player, and you know your your dreams and goals are in playing major league baseball. What areas would you recommend kids um, to be seen in the summer? You know, what would you tell them are the events that the Dodgers really scout and go to during the summer? Yeah, that's a good question because I, I really think in um, having a good balance is important because as as much as it as, as much as it's about exposure, it's also about knowing your body. getting stronger, improving your skill. Um, and, and so, so many of the mistakes I feel like become where you just get like spread too thin. You try to do too much. You want to do every event. And, and then you get like overexposed, overseen, and aren't healthy or as, as good a shape or strong as you should be. So I, I would really put a vote in for like having the right balance. Um, there's plenty of good events that you can go to that scouts are going to be on. You know, we are constantly like, you know, tracking players information all the time you know east coast pro area codes the july 4th um tournament um you know pvp uh we're gonna see you find you jupiter in the fall like arizona fall classic um there's so many opportunities and showcases and and ways to set up different events that you know i would pick a couple attend them get seen and then really make sure you just work on yourself and skill level and your strength and conditioning. Cause it's, it's a long year. Um, you play a lot and you just don't want to do too much. Uh, trust me there. And you know, like there's tons of showcases, there's tons of opportunities to get plays, just be selective and, 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 and don't pick too many. It's, it's probably more about that than picking like the exact ones. That's great information for these people. Let, now, let me ask you, this is my last question of you for the night. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming on here and answering these questions so honestly and candidly. My, my, my last question for you is this. You had a son who played baseball, and I don't know your family extensively, but I did see you uh, at a, an event in Arizona, I think, one time, and your son was playing. If you could give players and families advice, um, what advice would you give parents and players that are going through this 
this baseball process trying to reach their dreams? Yeah, I I love this topic and I I love talking to people about this because um, I, I I just want it should be fun it should be enjoyable like usually if if you're getting pro interest you have a, a very good college uh, offer scholarship in place and you're gonna have a, a a good a good path either way I, I my suggestion would just be enjoy it like really sit there and enjoy it you know really focus on on getting better every day as an individual, but also like winning and winning for your team and playing for your high school and being around your friends and, and trying to accomplish something as a team is, is still like the ultimate goal. Um, and, and not getting so caught up in like the rankings events where you need to be, who did what. Um, it's a little bit of like controlling what you control, focus on what's important um, and, and having some balance in the whole process of just enjoying it. And, and not putting too much pressure on yourself. Like it's a hard game. It, you know, the outcomes are, are, are usually out of your control and you just want to have some enjoyment and fun with it. Um, and, and, and scouts notice, like, listen, like you can't hide, you know, Butch knows well, like, you know, being genuine and who you are, um, you just can't hide from us. We're going to witness and observe you and talk to so many people. You can't really fool us. So the better way is to be yourself enjoy work hard have some fun and try to win some games and and just like take it step by step and not get too forward thinking or too caught up in rankings or something that just like is out of your control and i know it's hard social media the downside of like having it in your face all the time um can be frustrating but that would be my my one you know kind of rant i guess is like enjoy it have fun It it should be it, it should be like, I love playing this game and I got a lot of good options ahead of me and I just want to like get better and, and win some games for my team. And it should be that simple. That's awesome. Billy, I just want to thank you for the time you spent with us here tonight. You know, this, 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 uh, this Twitter space will be available on our podcast at masters of baseball. So people that missed it tonight, uh, they can they can hear you and uh, great job and just want you to know how much I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Butch. I love it, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, you guys are doing a great job. All those players and families out there, I, I, you know, keep working hard and, and good things happen. Thank you. Thank you.